This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. I'm a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Uh, good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here in Professor Warhol's Manly Command Center, the Warhol Command Center inside the uh, Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner. Remember that word, partner of the Florida Gators. Melvin Law won't back down. They're a full-service legal outfit. <clears throat> well, 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 you know how it is these days with uh, Everything is going on with the heat and the weather, so I'll be clearing my throat, I guess. <coughs> Bear with me. <coughs> Sorry. But uh, today is an um, interesting day to talk about because it's labeled a, a federal holiday. About 30% of the states uh, observe it right now. That's Juneteenth. We'll get into a little bit about what all the ramifications are of that and, and you know what it might mean for you and the country and this one thing or another. But, in Coach Hogg's locker room, there's been a, a decision made, uh, finally. You know, one of the things that coaches always emphasize to their players is make a decision and don't be, un, uh, you know, don't equivocate because equivocation will undo you. Uh, you don't want to be, and you, we used to have a saying in the football world, do something even if it's wrong. Uh, we didn't want you standing around. If anything, we wanted you to err on the side of aggression and uh, rather than the side of passivity. And everything in football is measured by whether the player has a killer instinct or not. <clears throat> and passivity is an indication of a lack of killer instinct. In other words, reflection is not your asset. Action is your asset. And we'll make up or cover for you if you overact. We'd much rather you overact than underact. Now, I don't know if you'll get that on any other sports shows, quote unquote, 100% sports shows. But, you know, Coach Hogg is a wearing many hats and always wherever he wears his hat, he covers his brain. So I may pass some things along to you that you haven't thought about before or heard about anywhere else. But the world governing body, which is called FINA of swimming, uh, has voted uh, to effectively uh, ban transgender women, that's an interesting phrase. I'm gonna expand on that because it caused me to do research, which when I do research, I share the research with you, my students, to see if any of it uh, is helpful or you can help me understand what I'm researching. <clears throat> so I looked at that uh, adjective in front of that noun, transgender women, and adjectives modify or limit the definition of the noun, narrow the definition to a particular lane, if you will. And uh, <clears throat> if you can imagine, uh, if you've ever driven, I guess now you could do so in Atlanta, but the quintessential place is to do so in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know how many lanes there are, eight or nine lanes of traffic. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating. And uh, the old phrase is, if you stay in your lane, you're okay. Well, a lot of people just stay in their lane all the time and never get out of their lane. And in some cases, that's fine. But there are eight times as many lanes out there as there are one uh, that you're in. So I got to thinking maybe uh, my lane is just not up to snuff. And <clears throat> maybe all these other lanes really are bearing, you know, traffic. And I need to know what's over there in them. So that's kind of my analogy that I'm entering this discussion with. But for the world governing body for swimming, um, 
they are banning transgender women from participating in women's swimming, women's swimming competitions. Now, this is a big deal because women have been complaining that when you put somebody in there who has had testosterone in the system, uh, you've got a male, basically. And that all those chemicals are decided at birth. Now, you can go through all this fluidity, but you still have a particular chemical makeup that gives you an advantage or disadvantage. So I'm going to explore that for a while with you this morning and see if you can help me understand it. But this vote was uh, with a 71.5% approval. Uh, it was uh, uh, the General Congress of 2022, and it was in Budapest. And it was the latest um, salvo, they call it, in an ongoing fight over whether uh, uh, trans athletes should compete according to their gender identity or compete according to their sex assigned at birth. Now, assigned is in the passive voice, sex assigned. And what it means is someone assigned it. So who assigned of that gender identity at birth, well, if you are a Christian or a God-fearing human being, you would say God assigned it. If you're a heathen, art thou a heathen? That's the famous line in Hamlet by the uh, one clown to the other. Art thou a heathen? Uh, maybe there is no God and maybe just a chemical malfunction of the genetic coding got it all screwed up and Maybe, you know, science and social programs can straighten it out. At the fundamental basis is where my mind always likes to go. What is the fundamental uh, difference? And I think that's the fundamental difference. You were assigned at birth by God uh, or you were assigned at birth by some accident of the stars, which created a chemical composition, which created doubt. But we have ways of measuring it. And in talking to my physician friends, they must know what your sex was at birth if they are to treat you later on into adulthood. And there is a sex at birth, notwithstanding who might have assigned it. So this has now become an issue in um, the rights of athletes to compete and particularly the rights of women athletes. I was asked, had a woman ever asked to compete with the men because of an assignment of sexual confusion, I guess, at birth. I don't know any instances of that. If you do, please let me know. Maybe they're there and my research is incomplete at the moment. But I'm on, I'm on, I don't know where there's a clamoring for women to go compete with men. Because they get beat every time. I mean, uh, in the physical world. I mean, now that's a whole other thing. They can pilot jet planes as well as men can. That's an eye-hand skill. <clears throat> it doesn't involve a superior chemical, evidently, of testosterone in terms of masculinity. So uh, this has been a real debate. It's been going on for quite a while. And uh, Phoenix president... I'm going to probably mispronounce this as a person named Hussein al-Muzalam. And he says that under the policy, transgender women must show that they have not experienced any part of male puberty beyond Tanner stage two or before age 12, whichever is later. Now, that's getting pretty scientific. This is a move that effectively, therefore, eliminates the eligibility to compete in the women's category. Tanner stages describe, evidently, and this is the AP, uh, John Baysmore researching this, from which I'm quoting. Tanner stages describe the physical changes people undergo during puberty. Now, males, of course, you know, you start shaving, your voice lowers, this, that, one, and another. So um, that is the Tanner stage. And there are evidently different stages, of course, to the Tanner stage. <clears throat> so Fina says it's necessary <clears throat> to use sex and sex linked traits to determine eligibility criteria before, because of the performance gap 
that appears between males and females during puberty. Well, it makes sense to me. Puberty is around 12. And at 12, you know, you start as a male, uh, you know, outrunning. There, I mean, come, of course, there are exceptions. There are women who outrun men up to a point. But there is no woman sprinter in the world who can outrun the male sprinter in the world. So we know that. And this all begins at puberty. So uh, the FINA governing organization has decided without that without eligibility standards uh, based on biological sex or sex linked traits, uh, we are very unlikely to see biological females in the finals, on the podiums or in championship positions. Now, this has been brought about, of course, by the University of Pennsylvania transgender athlete. And I'm going to get into the definition of these terms in a minute because I'm trying to understand them. Transgender athlete Leah Thomas, who competed at the NCAA Swimming and Diving Championship in March, and her uh, outstanding success began the focus of this debate. So I am all for, personally, I'll opine here, I am all for keeping women, women in women's sports. Now, if you go to the drag show or something like that, I'm not in, you know, that's different. Uh, if you want to talk about uh, entertainment talent um, that doesn't have any athletic advantage or disadvantage, that's okay. I, I have no problem with that. I mean, I'm talking now as is FINA, and they're only a governing body for one particular sport, and that's swimming. So, and this has been brought about by the dominance of this Leah Thomas, who was a male. So the, the group says it has divided, FINA has said that it has devised uh, this policy in consultation with athletic, scientific, and legal experts. And if they don't have these eligibility standards based upon biology or sex-linked traits, uh, they're going to also run the risk of greater risk for female athletes. So this announcement, of course, as you might imagine, has been met with swift criticism from the transgender advocacy groups. I'm going to get into them in a minute. Uh, the LGBTQ, now they have an LGBT, I used to say LGBTQWXYZ. I guess they've kind of anticipated that because they have LGBTQI+. Um, so they've called this, of course, discriminatory and harmful, unscientific, contrary to the International Olympic Committee guidance. But the next uh, stepping stone, incidentally, is going is referenced here. It's going to be the Olympic Committee. And Athena is just governing uh, the, the governing body for swimming. Uh, now, does that mean that the Olympic Committee will have to at least recognize how the swimming is affected, whereas maybe other governing bodies of other sports in the Olympics haven't taken action. That could be cleared up by simply the Olympic Committee taking the same action that FINA has taken, which seems to me, I think, reasonable and fair. But, you know, not obviously to Ann Lieberman, who um, I think was, if I've got the name right, was Martina Nabatilova's I don't know what you call them, significant other, and was once married to a man. <clears throat> I'm going to have to research that. But I, 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 that rings a bell. I think that was the situation. Now, and now Martina Navatilova is an interesting case <clears throat> because she does test as a woman. Her growth in tennis is directly attributable to Renee Richards, who was a male at one time, a pediatric ophthalmologist, a womanizer as a pediatric ophthalmologist, married, uh, who became a female and was also a womanizer as a female. <clears throat> and uh, I happen to know pretty well and uh, worked out with here at the tennis clubs. And um, I knew Renee very, very well, very smart person, but about as much female physically as uh, maybe a chihuahua is to a German shepherd. Uh, big feet, big hands, deep throat, big person, well over six feet, but, and slow on the court. They, they finally talked 
they finally allowed Renee Richards to compete in the women's tennis circuit, but he got beat up and didn't last. But he was a tremendous coach. And he's the one who she, I'm sorry, I apologize. She's the one who went to Martina and said, you can be great if you stop eating all those donuts, so to speak, and really got her in tremendous shape. Very tough taskmaster as a coach, humorless. But the greats came to be coached by Renee. So that's my little trip down memory lane to that uh, name that rang, I think rings a bell. I have to look it up. But um, this is, uh, of course, being met with criticism by the quote unquote human rights campaign. You know, the human rights campaign. I, <clears throat> a lot of these so called rights I can't find in the Constitution. Um, so, so there you are. I mean, I guess you can. Um, read into, as one person said about abortion, oh, they put into the constant. Yeah, I, I suppose that's, yeah, you put into it. It didn't come out of it. You crammed it into it. And uh, that's not the way it works. So anyway, last year, the International Olympic Committee released new guidance allowing individual sports to set guidelines and moving away from eligibility based on testosterone levels. There is a little bit of a problem. Um, so this debate over fairness and inclusion in swimming and other sports has been really brought to a head by Leah Thomas, uh, a transgender University of Pennsylvania swimmer uh, who has had, by all measurements, an unfair advantage competing in the women's category. So... Um, there have been some Republican governors in states, including South Carolina, Oklahoma, and Arizona, that have recently signed laws requiring transgender athletes in public schools to compete according to the sex listed on their birth certificates. So um, it's um, also interesting, and FINA said it may develop another category in future swimming competitions for people who don't fit in the male and don't fit in the female. They'll have a, that, that seems fair. If Leah Thomas wants to race other Leah Thomases in a separate category, go at it. I mean, that that's, that's, seems fair, but let's not mix apples and oranges. So um, this is going to be an interesting kind of situation as it evolves and as it involves other uh, avenues of our lives. That's why I opened up Coach Hogg's locker room with that discussion because it's going to lead into some more discussion. So hang on a minute. We are, uh, of course, um, in a state of constantly, I suppose, <clears throat> re 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 reusing certain words and changing words. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father Who Art. We don't have art anymore. If you go to the plain English version of the prayer, you'll see it's been changed to are. Uh, uh, we don't have thou, we have your. So the language, English anyway, unlike French, can be changed. Uh, English is very much a mongrel uh, language and that it steals words from other languages and makes them their own. Chaise lounge being from French. It will steal um, a, a language from Native American tribes, for example. The Cherokee is the name of a Jeep. Um, it will incorporate, I'm going to get into this story a little bit later, it will incorporate into its uh, names of towns, um, Micanope being the chief of a, of a tribe, uh, Seattle being the chief of a tribe, um, they all have incorporated and put into our language. Those become Seattle is now part of the English language. French doesn't do that because French says, if our language goes, so goes our national identity. And we have to have a national language. We can't be messing around with the language to the extent that we lose what it is to be French. As I've said before, if you go to one of the cities in Canada that has both a French population speaking, French speaking population 
in an English speaking population, you'll maybe experience what I experienced in my day of being a handsome man about the bricks. I was in Montreal, Montreal, uh, where the Queen Elizabeth Hotel is, or the Rhine Elizabeth, and uh, trying to um, <clears throat> strike up a conversation uh, with two uh, ladies uh, whom I met. Uh, they were very much interesting, and I was speaking English to them. And, well, they didn't answer me. And I thought, poor, poor people, are they mute? What's wrong here? And then I realized they were French, and they were waiting for me to speak French, not English, which, so I, I spoke a little French. Well, oh, man, all of a sudden it was a whole different world because I had met them with their language and I was using their language. This tug and pull on language can be healthy. It can be unhealthy uh, for clarity. The basic thing is when I spoke in French to the ladies, I didn't change the meaning of what I was saying in English. It was the same meaning that I was saying. But when you start tinkering with pronouns and you start tinkering with words that have all these strange kinds of evolving applications, um, I, I, you know, you, you, you have you run a risk of, uh, of confusion rather than clarity. Now, what, what got me started on this particular investigation is, of all things, looking, of course, at um, watching my time before we take a break, uh, watching the. Um, the, the Gainesville City Commission candidates for office. Oh, boy. You know, I, am, I apologize for what I'm about to say, but I think you know that as a youngin, I used to like to go to the freak shows and the fairs. And they always had a, they were called freak shows. I'm sorry, I didn't make up the word. And uh, there would be a barker out in front saying, step right up and see the lady with the beard. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Of course, I always wanted to step up and see that. And uh, so I would go inside and be a big pit. And you go in there. And the first thing you'd wonder is if you'd been taken. If somebody had glued a beard on a lady or whatever. But anyway, this is kind of what the candidates for the Gainesville City Commission remind me of. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. But they remind me of those fair barkers. Step right up and see this array of people who are going to run for the Gainesville City Commission and the mayor. Well, you know, I think that this whole Gainesville City population began in 1947 when the UFO landed by the Lake of the Stupids and jumped out the, uh, dumped out the genetic material, which has now made the Harvey Wards and the David Areolas and all those people. So... Now I learned that extraterrestrial activity is being taken seriously by the United States government. So there's probably something to this, is there not? Now, I was reading through these uh, candidates, you know, that, and people ask me whom they should vote for. I'm not in the city, but I have analysis of them. You know, Harvey Ward is a thug, um, a bully. We know that he's got enough demonstrable behavior that I, that that substantiates in the mind of many people. I, of course, nicknamed him Banana Pudding because he has an ample midsection. Um, Ed Belarsky, you know, should know what he's doing uh, if he gets elected. Uh, and there'll be a runoff because there's so many in this uh, because he knows where all the bones are buried. Now, the only story I hear on him it comes from other people in GRU who work for him who say he can be a hothead. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, who, you know, the, all these all these all these candidates are touchy. <clears throat> so I don't really know anything about that. All I know is he certainly knows uh, where the bones are buried. Ariola, nicknamed the poodle, is um, uh, just um I don't know, just a, a body, you know, there that um, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't know. You know, what do you do with somebody like that? Um, now, here is one that piqued my interest. 
to look into some of the terminology that we've just been sharing, which I'm going to expand on, is somebody named July Thomas. Now, July Thomas is described in this Gainesville Sunset article written by John Henderson. And July Thomas must have insisted on this uh, terminology, or I doubt Thomas would have put it in. July Thomas claims to be a trans queer astrophysicist. That took me back to the UFO landing, by the way, and local activist for LGBTQ rights and issues. Now, you know that that is a single lane person. Remember my analogy here. Uh, there are nine lanes that you get on, so to speak. And not, I don't think I'm exaggerating to travel through uh, Los Angeles and approaching that number, I suspect, in Atlanta. Certainly, you know, you'll get hammered by July Thomas. With every, everything will be forced through the uh, keyhole of, 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 of sexual identification. Everything will be measured. If it's just as for the blacks, everything is measured in terms of race. Everything for July Thomas, one could ask, will it be measured in terms of sex? Um, I guess, I mean, you know, you draw your own conclusion. I just found it interesting that the word queer has been stolen by the LGBTQWXYZs. There is a great story called The Lament, written by Anton Chekhov, a great, great short story writer, a Russian short story writer who wrote in the mid-19th century, who uses the, the, the translator, translates the word from Russian English into English and uses the word queer. Well, uses the word gay, I'm sorry, uses the word gay. And the story takes place from the point of view of a taxi driver whose son has just died and he can't get anybody to listen to him and his sadness because everybody else is so sad or so caught up in themselves. And he picks up three fares, three people, and they're young guys, and Chekhov calls them gay young gentlemen. Gay young gentlemen. But when you come across that word in teaching fiction writing, which I think is the most important subject of any, in any university to teach, more than physics, more than everything, fiction writing, uh, the, the students, the American students immediately bust out, were they homosexuals? You see, that's what happens to language if you're not careful. And I have to stop and say, my dear hearts, my naive young college students, first of all, dear hearts, it is a Russian writer. Secondly, it is in the middle of the 19th century. Now, this is constantly done by people. They take a 20, now it's 21st, century meaning of a word and slam it onto a 19th century activity or meaning and absolutely block themselves from logic. So I have to stop every time I come to that word, three gay young gentlemen, and explain to the students, God forbid, I know they do, will become your lawyer or your, your mayor. Several people on here went to Santa Fe, by the way. Um, and never know, never know, never know. No, they were not homosexuals. They were happy. They had been drinking, okay? They were slightly tipsy. They were inebriated. They got into the cab, which was a horse-drawn cab in the story, and did what? Were laughing and having a good time, while paradoxically, the cab driver is slumped in sadness. So Chekhov opens the story with that distance between the the father of the child who's died 
And by the way, that's one of the things that is so hard to take is that the younger generation died before the older generation. But he can't get the attention of the gay young gentleman because it's not even in their universe. So you take a, a, an enormous concept, an enormous subject like that, and you corrupt it and you pervert it into something about sex. I'm sorry, my friends. That's kind of where I am with all this. I don't care to know anything about July Thomas's sex life. Not in the least. I'm not even remotely interested that this individual is a trans queer. I could care less. Except why do you think it's in there? It's in there to attract the LGBTQ base in Gainesville, which is pretty substantial, I would imagine. Is it substantial enough to get you elected to the city commission? God only knows. We'll find out. I'm going to take a break on the Word Scott Files. I'm going to try to figure out these terms. Be right back on the Word Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Waterboy and Cornell, known as Mini Mike and Cornell, wears elevator shoes and Cornell, he just wants to be like. I think I've got a little sip of coffee warmed up here. I'm a little bit better in terms of my uh, voice. I hope. And I was just talking with you about um, what I think about all these people running for the Gainesville City Commission. I think there'll be a runoff um, probably down to Bolarski and, oh, God forbid, uh, Anna Puddin. Uh, I don't know how Gary Gordon fits in. Gary Gordon, I think of it, our own Arlo Guthrie. He's a little music guy he's um you know been around the tunes all the time his daddy was a influential education professor ira gordon at the 
University. So he's steeped into liberalism. Um, and uh, Donald Shepard, I saw riding his bicycle when I was out at the aeroporto the other day picking up some people who arrived. And there went Donald Shepard riding by the exit to the uh, uh, Gainesville aeroporto on his bicycle. I think he lives in, somebody said he lives in a trailer park down there, bless his heart. Um, so there you are. The, the, um, um, the, the, what caught my eye, as I said, is the, the need to tell us about your sexuality. I mean, if you've got sex appeal, everybody knows it. Uh, they can feel it. Hey, listen, I told you the story of when I had uh, the opportunity, uh, you know, to sit between two of the most beautiful women in the world and drink wine with them at Diane's in New York. And if I haven't told you the story, I'll tell you again. I was uh, with Lester Persky, who wrote the movie The Taxi Driver. Uh, and um, in that uh, facility that night was, uh, was Andy Warhol, people like this. And I uh, went in with Persky and John Knowles and some other people. And um, by the way, uh, uh, several of the people I, I was with were homosexuals. I mean, they were in the arts, good friends of mine. But there was Lena Horn and Lauren McCall, and uh, they introduced me to first Lauren McCall. And I put my hand out, it was dark in that bar, to, and she had put her hand out for me to touch, at least shake. And as I did, I, I knocked her glass of red wine over onto her blouse. And she had later, I learned that was about a $500 blouse. And she began to frantically try to wipe the red wine off of her uh, <clears throat> chest, which is, of course, where her <clears throat> bosoms are, right? And you know me, being the dude I am, uh, I said to her, and it just came out, I said, my golly, as she frantically was wiping her breasts, I said, are you that excited to see me? I don't know what made me say it. The devil made me say it, my friends. And she turned to Lena Horn. I, if you don't know who Lena Horn is, you need to take a research trip and look that beautiful woman up. Uh, she turned to Lena Horn and exclaimed, my God, I haven't had a man talk to me like that since Bogart. Oh, baby, come on now. And so I sat down between, on my right was Lena Horn and on my left was Lauren Bacall. And we had a gay old time into the evening. And they were two of the most beautiful, sexy women, as you might understand, I've ever been around, especially Lauren McCall. She was irresistible. I don't think she had to tell anybody. It was just electricity in the air. You know, and what really got me is she liked men like me. That's the type of man she liked. She, she, that was, hey, we had a great time. I'll just leave it at that. We had a great time. I've told that story some. So I don't know what this deal is about you have to say, well, I'm a trans queer, you know, or I, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm going to pursue it a little bit with you and, and let you know uh, uh, that I've been on many, many lanes in many, many highways, okay? Now, nevertheless, I ain't up to date on this terminology. So I'm going to, I looked up, well, let me see what I did here. I, I, I did a couple of things. First of all, I started out, I went to something called GLAD. Do you know what G-L-A-D-D is? Well, I didn't. I had to learn about it. And I always like to learn. I like to research. And then I like to share with my students what I'm trying to learn and what I'm researching. So the first thing I want, and by the way, G-L-A-D-D stands for Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against defamation. I, I Listen, I was in Diane's with all kinds of people. I never thought of defamation. I never, I never, everybody in there was extremely talented and intelligent and artistic. Some were gay, probably some were bi, some were upside down, you're turning me. I don't know what's going on, but everybody was cool. Everybody was interested. That Andy Warhol came along, that freak, my God, he was as white as snow. I think he probably was an albino. You know, the guy used to paint the suit cans. 
He had a beautiful woman with him. But transgender, according to the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, is a term, now get this, is used to describe people whose gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned at birth. Gender identity. Now, where do we get the need to? I'm just asking questions. If you already know the answers, why? Give them to me. At what point in time did we feel this need to, uh, for gender identity? I never felt that need in Diane's that night. Gender identity, according to GLAD, is a person's internal, personal sense of being a man or a woman. I tell you, if you want to find out what I feel, you know, if you want to break it down like this into men and women, there are women who can shoot better than I can, whom I won't mess with, who are 100% women. I, I got in mind one right now who runs a ranch, runs a cattle ranch, a woman. She has nothing but cowboys that she bosses around. I know the lady, beautiful lady. I wouldn't cross her. I have enormous respect for her. She knows what, and she's feminine. I don't even know what this all means. Help me out here. Gender identity is a person's internal, personal sense of being a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. Now, I, for some people, their identity and identity does not fit neatly into the two choices. For transgender people, the sex they were assigned at birth and their own internal gender identity do not match. People in the transgender community may describe themselves using one or more of a wide variety. Why do we need to know? I'm back to the question. Why do we need to know? Okay. And if you're going to tell me that the outward manifestation of a person is the is is similar to the inner person, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that. I have seen in the gym guys that I thought would not be strong. Okay, they were not muscled up. They were not big, but. They could lie down on that bench press and bench as much as somebody 50 pounds heavier than they could. You know what they had? Some internal strength. I think it's probably in tendons. I think guys like that had wires for tendons. They just are strong. We've even got a term for it called wiry. But you can't tell by looking at them. Now, are we reached a place where I've got to go ahead and Outwardly advertise with a billboard what I innerly think I am that day, and then codify this into public language and criteria for being a candidate for a commission race. Well, that's what transgender apparently means. It means whatever you want it to mean, I guess, if you really think about it. Let me go over here to another thing I looked at. I, I, I didn't know there were so many terms. I hope this is not, you know, this is just school, okay? This is, we're having class today on language. I looked this up. This is from the University of Florida. Multicultural and Diversity Affairs. This is your university. It has, let me see how many pages this is. I printed it out. Oh, golly, there's a whole bunch. Anyway, these, they, the University of Florida printed out LGBTQ terms and definitions. Now, I don't know how you look at the world. You look, you look at this as progress or you look at this as regress. I, 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 I don't know. Back when... Dub Thomas really learned how to make money at Dubs, which was out at the edge of town, which was one of the hottest nightclubs. Well, the hottest we've ever had here 
Tom Petty was a house band. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet have been there. Um, um, Leon Russell. These guys were all coming up the ranks then, and Doug was smart enough to find them in the early stages and promote them. Uh, promoters really know talent when they see it, and he was able to do that. He knew talent uh, when he saw it. But in order to capture the attention of the community, he had a miniskirt contest. Now, you understand what the word was that was so provocative that pushed the, the limits? Miniskirt. It wasn't even topless. It was a miniskirt contest. And the place would be packed for the miniskirt contest. And the women, women, that's the way Truman Capote used to say the word, women, you know that they would get up there and as one of the rock and roll songs say, shake your money maker. And they would dance and the place would go crazy and it would pack the place. The bands were rock. It was a, it was a, it was a, but it was just a mini skirt contest. There was no terms. Now, I'm, you know, I'm going to just go through what the unit and the University of Florida now has codified. Thank God they've straightened this out in my mind. A cisgender, I guess, C-I-S-G-E-N-D-E-R is a term used to describe an individual whose assigned biological sex aligns with their expected binary gender identity. Uh, I don't get it. A cross-dresser, and I've known a lot of cross-dressers, and it used to be fun uh, to go to one of the local gay, gay uh, bars here and watch the uh, female impersonators entertain. They were marvelous. They were absolutely marvelous. And everybody enjoyed it that went there. Uh, I guess you'd have to call those people cross-dress. A person who enjoys crossing and dressing and clothing typically associated with the other of the two socially sanctioned genders. Um, the older term, transvestite, probably applies, according to the University of Florida, uh, uh, a website on diversity, okay? A drag. Uh, one of the funniest things I ever heard said about drag was spoken by a really good friend of mine, and I'm not going to speak out of, out of, out of, out of, out of um, sorts for him because he said it himself. Uh, he was a well-known, great math teacher, but, you know, he was uh, probably, you know, the other, the other way, shall we say. But he won the state uh, teaching, first and best teacher in the state, which we knew he was. And when he was presented the award, uh, he had a skit that he did where he, in order to get the students' attention, he got it dressed up and I don't know what it was, some kind of outfit he dressed up in and it got the students' attention. And one of the teaching uh, situations that he shared with the audience. And at the end of it, he said, and you don't even have to be in drag to do it. Brought the house down. I mean, a place went nuts. We all loved it so much. Uh, my good buddy's name was Jack Mara. Great guy. It's a theatrical act of dressing in gendered clothing. And um, it can be done for entertainment as uh, parody to make a political statement. I don't know if you can do it now. You know, there is no humor in the woke side of the aisle. Everybody tells me that. The woke side doesn't have a sense of humor. It's killed comedy. I mean, you can research this yourself. You can find out. Now, gender is a socially, according to the University of Florida, webpage on diversity, a socially constructed identity centering around nations of masculinity and femininity and androgyny, which includes. So if you can't say, I guess, uh, that you're masculine or feminine, I guess, I guess a gender expression, according to the diversity website, um, is composed of a bunch of things, clothing, hairstyles, and mannerisms. I just think that I don't care how Lauren Bacall had been dressed. I don't care 
how Lena Horne had been dressed. They were sexy. Okay. I don't know what it is. Some people call it animal magnetism. Okay. It's just in their pores. It's in their eyes. It's in their mannerisms. They can't help it. That's just the way they are. You couldn't take sexual attractiveness out of Lena Horne or Lauren Bacall if you tried. And you probably couldn't put it in them if you tried. It's just who they were. God rest them. I think they're both gone now. But boy, man, what, a, what an evening. What a great evening to sit between those two ladies. Um, I don't know um, that uh, there's anything that we can make. Of, and this is pages. Let me just race through some of these for you. Um, we have gender queer. I think that is basically maybe what that July Thomas is driving at. Um, an, an identity label sometimes claimed by people whose gender identity does not fit into the culturally accepted man, woman, binary idol. Intersex. Um, God, I don't know what that means. That's interesting. Uh, I don't want to get a dwell on it. Um, now, queer, it's actually in here. An umbrella identity term used by people who do not conform to norms of heterosexuality and or the gender binary. It's a reclaimed slur often used with political. Actually, queer just means strange or different, but it has been sexualized. It's one of these words that's been sexualized. Um, you know, you can't use it like a rainbow. I mean, you just about can't use rainbow anymore without thinking of rainbow this, LGBT, this, all that kind of stuff. Um, sexual orientation. I was kind of interested in that definition. Sexual orientation. I think it only orients myself towards that which you're attracted to, which depends upon the attractiveness of that which you're attracted to. And I'm using Lauren Bacall and Lena Horne as examples. But it's the aspect of an individual identity that determines who they focus their sexual erotic drives, desires, and fantasies toward. Um, I don't know if that's the way it worked that night. I mean, it was not coming from, well, maybe they thought it was coming from me. I thought it was coming from them. And I don't think it really was something they consciously thought about, as I said. My point is, why does any of this need to be talked about? You know, you either got it or you don't. And it's always in the eyes of the beholder. So anyway, there are pages and pages of dear hearts. Uh, sex affirmation surgery, transgender, trans man, uh, trans woman. Uh, uh, to, you know, uh, it's all over the place, my friends. Pansexual, um, asexual, uh, homophobia, transphobia. The University of Florida. Over here, it has the term gay. This is one I was talking about that I had to always stop in teaching uh, Anton Chekhov's The Lament to help these poor people, students, understand. But the University of Florida defines gay on its diversity page as an identity label sometimes claimed by man-identified people who form their primary romantic and sexual relationships with other man-identified people. Clear. The diversity website at the University of Florida has never, never read Anton Chekhov's short story, The Lament. Huh? Huh? Are you with me? Now, this is an interesting one here. I've always wondered about guys who had wives and several mistresses and could, and could juggle them all. And some of them are, some guys are very good at this. This must describe them. Polyamorous. Polyamorous. An identity label sometimes claimed by individuals that recognize their ability to be in multiple loving and honest sexual and or romantic relationships at the same time. There you go. Polyamorous. If the shoe fits, wear it. Okay. There is cisnormativity, 
Um, well, here's one of the old ones I've heard of romantic attraction, binary, same gender loving. I don't know. It's all undocked queer, butch, uh, transmasculine. All this is in the Division of Student Life website at the University of Florida. Okay. Well, where am I with time? I'm probably too far down the road to get into the battle that is going on with the Stop Woke Act. Um, it's probably going to have to be saved for the, uh, tomorrow. The Stop Woke Act is, of course, an attempt by people who ask for help from the state government because they can't get it from their local school boards to stop indoctrinating their or bringing up these discussions with kids when they were only in the first, second, third grade. Now, I'm trying to remember. In the third grade, which I skipped, so I was really a second grader, but I skipped that grade. So how old would I have normally been in the second grade school teachers out there? I can remember having my first crush on a female. Okay. She was my third grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Reitmeyer. And she oozed, emitted, maybe not even without knowing it, but I, sus I suspect she knew it. For me, sex appeal. And I was only in the second grade, but I was in the third grade because they, they skipped me over the second grade because they said I'd be bored in there. And it turns out I was also bored all the way out to the end of the whole thing to my senior year. I was pretty much bored uh, because they got tired of waiting on the other students to figure stuff out. I'm still that way. I really don't suffer fools very well. Uh, if it takes people a long time to get figured out, I, I, you know, I'm, I move on. But that's just my problem. But I do remember. Now, I'm trying to recall. If somebody had come to me then with a sex curriculum, and this is, I, I don't know what, to, I don't know what the answer to this is. If somebody had come to me with a sex curriculum and said, we notice that you've been looking at Mrs. Reitmark. Don't you know that this is, and then begin to what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. That's where we are. That's what, that's what it's all about. Um, did it distract me from learning my lessons from Miss Wright Martin? No, it actually attracted me. I was paid. I learned my lessons more effectively from her than I probably would have somebody that I wasn't so engrossed in. I always wanted to please her. I always wanted to do well. It was the first time I really started paying attention, you know, and, and I guess I was paying attention because of her. Uh, it was a long, dry spell after that. Uh, I don't remember at all my fourth grade teacher. I remember my fifth grade teacher, sixth grade teacher was a male. Um, it all kind of, kind of, it's all a blur then until I get up to a lady my junior year whom I really, really respected, whom in looking back on it, I probably was, well, in those days, the term was old maid. So you get the idea, okay? Great teacher, Miss Page, Miss Page. And nowadays it probably would be the term old maid. I don't even know if you can use that anymore. Man, I really like that lady. I would salute that lady. She was so strict and so smart and so fair and so tough on lazy people and this and that. And she was my 11th grade English teacher. And I have never, ever forgotten her influence. And I didn't think of her in any sexual terms whatsoever. Except I just noted that she was Miss. But beyond that, it never, it never meant much to me. I just knew that I wanted to hear everything that lady had to say. And I wanted to learn everything I could from her in the short time I was around her. Thanks so much for helping me try to figure this all out. Warthog Command Center out.